0: Today we are finishing up Matthew 27. It's the second half of the crucifixion of Jesus. And there's not a lot that I'm going to say, maybe a couple of things that I'm going to point out. But the point of today is to really have you just meditate on God's word and understand the incredible sacrifice and the incredible love of Jesus, that it was our sin that put him on that cross. I'm starting at verse 45. I'm reading from the NASB version today. It says, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, said, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see if Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Also the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now as for the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the other things that were happening, they became extremely frightened and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women were there watching from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while caring for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now when it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea came, named Joseph, who himself also had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Now on the next day, that is the day which is after the preparation, The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that when the deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I am rising. Therefore give orders for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him and say to the people, He has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go and make it as secure as you know how. And they went and they made the tomb secure with a guard, sealing the stone take a deep breath. It's hard to read some of this because we recognize that Jesus was innocent and it was our sin that put him on that cross. This part of the passage starts out talking about the time of day. Now, the sixth hour of the day is noon. And so the ninth hour would have been 3 p.m. And quite honestly, crucifixions rarely ended so quickly. Sometimes they lasted for days. And so it's interesting that it only lasted for three hours. But that time frame, three o'clock, when Jesus died, it was not quite the time of the evening offering of the temple. It wasn't evening yet. And yet the Bible says it got dark. Well, if you remember back to the Old Testament, darkness was one of the plagues in Egypt. And it was in fact the one that directly preceded the sacrifice of that first lamb. And it occurs in the prophets as well as judgment for the end time. So there's significance in the darkness. Both the Jews and all the pagans actually would have considered the darkening of the sky to be a really bad omen. Something significant was happening. And then what we hear Jesus quote is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1 which may have been part of the scripture that was recited at that time of day. But remember, we started with the Psalms. Before we jumped into the book of Matthew, we started with the Psalms. And one of the things I said in the Psalm series was that the Psalm book was really the prayer book and the hymn book of Jesus. So it's not surprising at all that he quoted a Psalm when he was on the cross. And the Psalm he quotes is Psalm 22, verse 1. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my help are the words of my groaning." What they don't realize is that there's an end to Psalm 22 that ends with the vindication of the person that is suffering and his triumph. And I think even then, what Jesus was doing was foreshadowing, yes, right now, this is what's happening, but you don't know what's coming. And of course, they didn't pick up on it either. And then the scripture says that he was offered this sour wine, this vinegar to drink, And sour wine was usually a remedy for thirst. And so what it may have been was an attempt to revive him, to perpetuate his suffering. They wanted him to suffer on this cross. And then it goes on and it talks about the veil. The veil was a curtain. It's called a curtain in the NIV. It was a thick curtain that was between the Holy of Holies. And it was a place that only God dwelt in the sanctuary. And that's where the priests were ministering. And it's interesting because at the moment that Jesus died, that thick veil, that thick curtain was torn. It was torn in two from the top down. And the whole point of that, of the veil being torn in two, is this whole point that God is making, that the cross is providing access to God for all people to be in his presence, not just the priests not just in this place of the Holy of Holies inside the temple, but everybody now has access to God because of Jesus. And some scholars would even argue and say that the symbolism there is that God had himself departed from the temple. But the one thing I think that we can carry with us is this understanding that at the moment that Jesus died, he paid the price for my sin and for yours. Now, at an execution... They likely would have restricted access because they wanted the crowd to be able to see without an obstructive view. So there likely wasn't room for a lot of people to be there. Sometimes family and close friends might be able to be present in order to weep and to wail and to mourn and to lament at an execution. But it's interesting because we see the women there. The male disciples, if they had been there, they would have been in danger of, of being a suspected ally of a revolutionary or a rebel and then in danger of being executed themselves. So that's probably why we saw the women more so than the men. But even the fact that the women were there, it cost them something because they would have been seen as scandalous by being there to witness Jesus's execution. Then we learn about Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Arimathea was about 20 miles away from Jerusalem. And that was likely the location of Joseph's tomb. And he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. And so he probably at this time had moved to Jerusalem so he could have closer access to those meetings that the Sanhedrin would have held. But either way, he was somebody that had a high standing and was really respected within the community. The washing and the preliminary burial of the body was permitted even on the Sabbath because they had to do it before decomposition would begin. But they would not have time to anoint the body, which was customary. Remember what I talked about a couple of days ago when Mary of Bethany anointed Jesus? That was the only anointing that he would get. <laughs> Now, Joseph is said to have been very wealthy, and he had to have been prominent in order to be able to even get an audience with Pilate in the first place. For Pilate to entertain having a conversation with him outside of his official public hours, which, remember, they ended at noon. This is now the evening. Joseph had to have had some influence with Pilate. And so when Rome crucified someone they usually denied them a burial because they saw them as criminals and they typically would leave them to be eaten by the vultures or sometimes dogs. So an exception would sometimes be made when relatives would go and ask for the body. But even in this scenario, in the case of treason, which is what Jesus was being executed for because he claimed to be the king of the Jews, in the case of treason, they would not allow the body to be taken down. So this was a very big exception. And it shows us how much influence Joseph of Arimathea actually had. And Joseph was not afraid to go on record as a follower of Jesus. And it's interesting because that means that he was risking a lot, his status, his posture in the Sanhedrin, his relationship with Pilate. He was asking a lot and risking a lot just by coming forward. And so burying the dead was an important duty of those that were strict Jews, that were religious and pious in nature. And so the fact that he wanted to do this, it shows a lot about his character and who he was as a person. Putting him in his own family tomb is such a mark of honor and it's an act of reverence and affection. And so we can see that Joseph, whether or not he had a relationship with Jesus before his death, he certainly recognizes that this was a very special man and this was not a normal execution. And so what they typically would do is they would put the bodies in a tomb initially and they would leave the bodies to decompose in this little chamber in the part of the tomb that's towards the front for about a year. And then at the end of a year, they would go back in and they would collect the bones and they would put the bones in a box called an ossuary and they would slide those bones into a slot in the wall. And so that was a Jewish practice that probably had something to do with this hope of the resurrection of the body at the end of times, at the end of age. And then in addition to him being put in that tomb, they rolled a stone in front of the tomb. And it was a carved disc-shaped stone that was probably about three feet wide. And they rolled it in place and there was a groove that it helped to move it back in and out from the entrance, but it was only done with great effort. Like several people would have had to have done that. And they also would have sealed that. So you would have been able to tell if that stone had been displaced at all. So the women would have been ones to prepare the bodies for burial in the ancient world. And the place that this tomb was, was inside the walls of Jerusalem even though the New Testament and Jewish law required that crucifixion happen outside of the city walls. So sometimes you will hear people debate that. But the reason for that is because King Agrippa expanded the city walls during his reign, which was about A.D. 41 to 44. So at the time of Jesus's death, that area was still outside of the walls. But now if you go there, it's inside the walls. Even in death, the religious leaders still Did not trust Jesus or his followers. And so they went again back to Pilate and they got permission to secure the tomb. And we're going to read more about that tomorrow. But I think it's interesting that even after he died, they still could not leave it alone. They were so jealous and so envious of this power that he held. And that even after his death, they still had to just put that final insult in there. So. It's interesting. And we're going to see that play out here in t- tomorrow's study. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and we're going to read starting at verse 45. Again, we're in Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see if Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Also the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now as for the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the other things that were happening, they became extremely frightened and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women were watching from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while caring for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of sons of Zebedee. Now when it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea came named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb. Then he had cut out in the rock, and he had rolled the large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Now on the next day, that is the day which is after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember that when the deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I am rising. Therefore give orders for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the tomb secure with the guard, sealing the stone. Let's pray. God, our our hearts just ache when we think through the rest of this story. God, help us not to forget the hope that is coming, the hope of the resurrection that we will study tomorrow. But God, help us not to neglect the weight of this crucifixion that our sin put you on this cross. God, I thank you for people like Joseph of Arimathea that were willing to risk so much to align themselves with you. God, I thank you for the example that they give us. God, I pray that as we ponder these things, that you would help them resonate deep in our hearts, that we would recognize how incredibly much you love us. Lord, help us, again, not to take that for granted, but to step into this relationship that you've called us to, that you have made possible because of your work on the cross. God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are and the way you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends. Thanks for listening. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey, friends. If this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God,